episode, we're going to hear the 16th chapter of our book, A Little Princess by Frances Hodgson Burnett, and a jingle from The Jingle Book by Carolyn Wells. I'm so sorry about missing the episode last week. My mind kind of wandered while I was doing it, and I programmed it for today, and I didn't realize until the day I uploaded this one. And yeah, so sorry. Please remember to go to the bottom of the feed if this is your first time listening. And if it's not, then please write a review or give a rating on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite podcast player. Okay, let's refresh a bit what happened last time. Which, BDW, you might need to go and listen to the other episode released today for that. Hurry, go! So basically what happened is, like... Sarah and Becky realized that the magic had brought Sarah all that stuff and um and then Sarah you know they kept enjoying it and every day they got new stuff and then Sarah one day got clothes and 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 then Miss Minchin is like all right so now you put on the clothes and you go into the classroom to do your lessons and everybody was staring and that's basically what happened and then oh right and then one night they were like reading in sarah's room and then they hear a noise and then sarah goes to the skylight and she opens it and guess who's there the monkey that's right so then she gets the monkey inside and she's like okay so tonight you sleep with me little monkey and tomorrow i'll take you to the indian gentleman's house so that's where we are we are going to read chapter 17 it is the child let's see how many pages it has Good grief, I was like, this is long. Where's the... Somebody help. Oh, there it is. Oh, yes. (laughs) Sorry. Um, It's just, this is a very... Okay, whatever. The next afternoon, three members of the large family sat in the Indian gentleman's library, doing their best to cheer him up. They had been allowed to come in to perform this office because he had specially invited them. He had been living in a state of suspense for some time, and today he is waiting for a certain event very anxiously. This event was the return of Mr. Carmichael from Moscow. His stay there had been prolonged from week to week. On his first arrival there, he had not been able satisfactorily to trace the family he had gone in search of. When he felt at last that he had found them and had gone to their house, he had been told that they were absent on a journey. His efforts to reach them had been unavailing, so he had decided to remain in Moscow until their return. Mr. Carrisford sat in his reclining chair, and Janet sat on the floor beside him. He was very fond of Janet. Nora had found his footstool, and Donald was astride the tiger's head, which ornamented the rug made of the animal's skin. It must be owned that he was riding it rather violently. "'Don't cheer up so loud, Donald,' Janet said. "'When you come to cheer an old person up, you don't cheer him up at the top of your voice. "'Perhaps cheering up is too loud, Mr. Carrisford.' "'turning to the Indian gentleman. "'But he only patted her shoulder. "'No, it isn't,' he answered. "'And it keeps me from thinking too much. "'I'm going to be quiet,' Donald shouted. "'We'll all be quiet as mice.' "'Mice don't make a noise like that,' said Janet. "'Donald made a bridle of his handkerchief "'and bounced up and down on the tiger's head. "'A whole lot of mice might,' he said cheerfully. "'A thousand mice might.' "'I don't believe fifty thousand mice would,' said Janet severely, "'and we have to be as quiet as one mouse.' "'Mr. Carrisford laughed and patted her shoulder again. "'Papa won't be very long now,' she said. "'May we talk about the lost little girl?' 
I don't think I could talk much about anything else just now, the Indian gentleman answered, knitting his forehead with a tired look. We like her so much, said Nora. We call her the little unfairy princess. Why, the Indian gentleman inquired, because the fancies of the large family always made him forget things a little. It was Janet who answered. It is because, though she is not exactly a fairy, she will be so rich when she is found that she will be like a princess in a fairy tale. We called her the fairy princess at first, but it didn't quite suit. Is it true, said Nora, that her papa gave all his money to a friend to put in a mine that had diamonds in it, and then the friend thought he had lost it all and ran away because he felt as if he was a robber? But he wasn't really, you know, put in Janet hastily. The Indian gentleman took hold of her hand quickly. No, he wasn't really, he said. I am sorry for the friend, Janet said. I can't help it. He didn't mean to do it, and it would break his heart. I am sure it would break his heart. You are an understanding little woman, Janet, the Indian gentleman said, and he held her close. Did you tell Mr. Carrisford? Donald shouted again. About the little girl who isn't a beggar? Did you tell him she has new nice clothes? Perhaps she's been found by somebody when she was lost. There's a cab, exclaimed Janet. It's stopping before the door. It is Papa. They all ran to the windows to look out. Yes, it's Papa, Donald proclaimed. But there is no little girl. All three of them incontinently fled from the room and tumbled into the hall. It was in this way they always welcomed their father. They were to be heard jumping up and down, clapping their hands and being caught up and kissed. Mr. Carrisford made an effort to rise and sank back down again. It is no use, he said. What a wreck I am. Mr. Carmichael's voice approached the door. No, children, he was saying. You may come in after I have talked to Mr. Carrisford. Go and play with Ramdas. Then the door opened and he came in. He looked rosier than ever and brought an atmosphere of freshened health with him. But his eyes were disappointed and anxious as they met the invalid's look of eager question, even as they grasped each other's hands. What news? Mr. Kersford asked. The child the Russian people adopted? She is not the child we are looking for, was Mr. Carmichael's answer. She is much younger than Captain Crewe's little girl. Her name is Emily Carew. I have seen and talked to her. The Russians were able to give me every detail. How wearied and miserable the Indian gentleman looked. His hand dropped from Mr. Carmichael's. Then the search has to be begun over again, he said. That is all. Please sit down. Mr. Carmichael took a seat. Somehow he had gradually grown fond of this unhappy man. He was himself so well and happy and so surrounded by cheerfulness and love that desolation and broken health seemed pitifully unbearable things. If there had been the sound of just one gay little high-pitched voice in the house, it would have been so much less forlorn. And that a man should be compelled to carry about in his breast the thought that he had seemed to wrong and desert a child was not a thing one could face. Come, come, he said in his cheery voice, we'll find her yet. We must begin at once. No time must be lost, Mr. Carrisford fretted. Have you any new suggestion to make, any whatsoever? Mr. Carmichael felt rather restless, and he rose and began to pace the room with a thoughtful, though uncertain face. Well, perhaps, he said, I don't know what it may be worth. The fact is, an idea occurred to me as I was thinking the thing over in the train on the journey from Dover. What is it? If she is alive, she is somewhere. Yes, she is somewhere. We have searched the schools in Paris. Let us give up Paris and begin in London. That was my idea, to search London. There are schools enough in London, said Mr. Carrisford. Then he slightly started. 
bruised by a recollection. By the way, there is one next door. Then we will begin there. We cannot begin nearer than next door. No, said Carisford. There is a pupil. There is a child there who interests us. But she is not a pupil. And she is a little dark, forlorn little creature, as unlike poor crew as a child could be. Perhaps the magic was at work again at that very moment. The beautiful magic. It really seemed as if it might be so. What was it that brought Ramdas into the room even as his master spoke, salaaming respectfully but with a scarcely concealed touch of excitement in his dark flashing eyes? Sahib, he said, the child herself has come. The child that Sahib felt pitiful. She brings back the monkey who had again run away to her attic under the roof. I have asked her that she remain. It was my thought that it would please the Sahib to see and speak with her. Who was she? inquired Mr. Carmichael. God knows, Mr. Carrotford answered. She's a child I spoke of, a little drudge at the school. He waved his hand to Ramdas and addressed him. Yes, I should like to see her. Go and bring her in. Then he turned to Mr. Carmichael. While you have been away, he explained, I have been desperate. These days were so dark and long. Ramdas told me of this child's miseries, and together we invented a romantic plan to help her. I suppose it was a childish thing to do, but it gave me something to plan and think of. Without the help of an agile, soft-footed oriental like Ramdas, however, it could not have been done. Then Sarah came into the room. She carried the monkey in her arms, and he evidently did not intend to part from her, if it could be helped. He was clinging to her and chattering, and the interesting excitement of finding herself in the Indian gentleman's room had brought a flush to Sarah's cheeks. "'Your monkey ran away again,' she said in her pretty voice. "'He came to my garret window last night, and I took him in because it was so cold.' I would have brought him back if it had not been so late. I knew you were ill and might not like to be disturbed. The Indian gentleman's hollow eyes dwelt on her with curious interest. That was very thoughtful of you, he said. Sarah looked toward Ramdas, who stood near the door. Shall I give him to the Lascar? she asked. How do you know he is a Lascar? said the Indian gentleman, smiling a little. Oh, I know Lascars, Sarah said, handing over the reluctant monkey. I was born in India. The Indian gentleman sat upright so suddenly and with such a chain of expression that she was for a moment quite startled. You were born in India, he exclaimed. Were you? Come here. And he held out his hand. Sarah went to him and laid her hand in his as he seemed to want to take it. She stood still and her green-gray eyes met his wonderingly. Something seemed to be the matter with him. You live next door? he demanded. Yes, I live at Miss Minchin's seminary. "'But you are not one of her pupils.' "'A strange little smile hovered about Sarah's mouth. "'She hesitated a moment. "'I don't think I know exactly what I am,' she replied. "'Why not? "'At first I was a pupil and a parlor boarder, "'but now you were a pupil. "'What are you now?' "'The queer little sad smile was on Sarah's lips again. "'I sleep in the attic next to the scullery maid,' she said. "'I run errands for the cook. "'I do anything she tells me, "'and I teach the little ones their lessons.' "'Question her, Kaimoko,' said Mr. Carrisford, sinking back as if he had lost his strength. "'Question her. I cannot.' The big, kind father of the large family knew how to question little girls. Sarah realized how much practice he had had when he spoke to her in his nice, encouraging voice. "'What do you mean by, at first, my child?' he inquired. "'When I was first taken there by my papa.' "'Where is your papa?' "'He died,' said Sarah very quietly. He lost all his money, and there was none left for me. There was no one to take care of me or to pay Miss Minchin. Carmichael, 
the Indian gentleman cried out loudly. Carmichael! We must not frighten her, Mr. Carmichael said aside to him in a quick, low voice, and he added aloud to Sarah. So you were sent up into the attic and made into a little drudge. That was about it, wasn't it? There was no one to take care of me, said Sarah. There was no money. I belonged to nobody. How did your father lose his money? The Indian gentleman broke in breathlessly. He did not lose it himself, Sarah answered, wondering still more each moment. He had a friend he was very fond of. He was very fond of him. It was his friend who took his money. He trusted his friend too much. The Indian gentleman's breath came more quickly. The friend might have meant to do no harm, he said. It might have happened through a mistake. Sarah did not know how unrelenting her quiet young voice sounded as she answered. If she had known, she would surely have tried to soften it for the Indian gentleman's sake. The suffering was just as bad for my papa, she said. It killed him. What was your father's name, the Indian gentleman said. Tell me. His name was Ralph Crewe, Sarah answered, feeling startled. Captain Crewe. He died in India. The haggard face contracted, and Ram Das sprang to his master's side. Carmichael, the invalid gasped. It is the child, the child! For a moment Sarah thought he was going to die. Ram Das poured out drops from a bottle and held them to his lips. Sarah stood near, trembling a little. She looked in a bewildered way at Mr. Carmichael. What child am I? she faltered. He was your father's friend, Mr. Carmichael answered her. Don't be frightened. We have been looking for you for two years. Sarah put her hand up to her forehead, and her mouth trembled. She spoke as if she were in a dream. And I was at Miss Minchin's all the while, she half whispered, just on the other side of the wall. Ah, it's so exciting! Oh my goodness, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I just get so excited because they finally meet, and he finally... Ah! Such a good book. I love it. Um... But it's so exciting because then they finally meet and then she's like, I brought your monkey back. And he's like, oh, d d how do you know he's a Lascar? And she's like, I was born in India. And they're like, what? And he's like, what's your father's name? And she's like, Ralph Crew. And he's like, ah, <laughs> it's, ah it's so good. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Oh, oh I'm sorry. It's just, ah, I was waiting for all y'all so I could read this chapter of the book because Oh, it's so good. And we only have two chapters left. <laughs> you guys need to write me an email. What book you think I should read next? And send me your jingle because I am working on mine or I will start working on it. Whew. My goodness, what a chapter. Okay. Let's read the jingle. First, though, you need to know something. In thermometers, there is a thing that goes up and down, right? That tells you the temperature. Um, so that thing that goes up and down is an element that's on the periodic table. It's called mercury. So depending on what the temperature that it is, the mercury goes up or it goes down. Okay? So after that, this jingle is called the mercury's plaint. I don't know why I'm slandered so. If I go high, if I go low, there's always someone who will say, Just see that mercury today. And whether toward the top I crawl, or down toward zero I may fall, they always fret and say that I am far too low, or far too high. Although I try with all my might, I never seem to strike it right. Now I admit, it seems to me, they show great inconsistency. 
but they imply I am to blame. Of course, that makes my anger flame, and in a fiery fit of pique, I sat at ninety for a week. Or sometimes, in a dull despair, I give them just a frigid stare, and as upon their taunts I think, my spirits down to zero sink. Mine is indeed a hopeless case, to strive to please the human race. Hmm, what'd you think? I think the last phrase was very, I don't know, it hit me hard. Let's hear it again. Mine is indeed a hopeless case, to strive to please the human race. So what do you think about that? It being a hopeless case to please the human race. I think it might be true because I, for one, am like sometimes never pleased with something or I always want more, you know? Does that ever happen to you? I think what we need to do is learn to be thankful like Sarah. Even when she was in rags and tatters, she was thankful she wasn't out in the streets, remember? She had friends, she had some clothes, she wasn't in the frigid cold outside. And now look, she found her friend that will take care of her. So, what's something you're thankful for? With that thought, we're going to wrap up the episode here. That's the end of this episode today. I hope you enjoyed it. Come back on Monday when we will hear the 18th chapter of our book. Two more chapters till the end. Super abundant thanks to Epidemic Sound for the songs and sound we heard today, and to Project Gutenberg for the books we read. See you! but I actually didn't get to answer it so I'm going to answer it now what is something that I am thankful for well I am thankful for many things but well I'm thankful for my family I'm thankful for my pets I'm thankful for finally getting to this plot twister episode um, chapter and I'm also thankful for being able to do this podcast because I really like doing it and it's just a great way you know to do what I want. It's like, um, I was gonna say something else. Oh yeah, the plot twister. It's not actually a plot twister, it's more like, this is where the plot sort of ends. This is like the, you know, from here is just like the ending. You know, there's like the beginning, the middle, and the ending, but this is the end of the middle. The middle has finished, and we will see what happens next week. Bye!